Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I'm Pastor Erwin Raphael McManus and just wanted to thank you for listening. In case you didn't know, I just released a new book. It's called The Genius of Jesus, The Man Who Changed Everything. And you can order it today at thegeniusofjesus.com. We've stepped into this uprising, this revolution of the soul. The revolution that sets us free, no matter what happens in the world around us, to find the liberty and freedom that we were created to live in. And we've been on three specific quests. We began a quest for honor and then journeyed together on a quest for nobility. And for the last few weeks, we have been on this last quest, this quest for enlightenment. We've traveled together on this particular quest on a search to end stupidity. One of the things we've seen together is that so many things in life are unpredictable. So many things in life are uncertain. And some of you, the future has come at you like a Mack truck, and some of you feel as if you are roadkill from all the expected crises and conflicts and problems and challenges that have come your way. And that can create an illusion. It can make you feel as if everything in life is unpredictable, that everything in life is uncertain. And what we discover is that the person who moves from darkness to light, the person who moves from living a life of foolishness to a life of wisdom, begins to have a unique clarity about life, where life begins to make sense. And so we wrap things up tonight on this quest for enlightenment. And we saw together this quest begins with this very simple virtue of faithfulness. That this journey begins by being faithful in the small things, by taking care of those small commitments and small promises and small cracks in the armor of our character. And that as we live a life of faithfulness, that faithfulness develops in us perseverance. And as we move toward faithfulness in all the small things of life, as we take care of those things that no one else will notice, as we live in the shadows in the darkness with light and truth, when we live the life that we pretend to live when no one else is watching, what happens is that faithfulness begins to build in us a character that perseveres that has endurance, that has patience, that builds in us resilience. And it is in the crucible of perseverance that we begin to experience this essential characteristic of wisdom. James says it like this in chapter one, beginning in verse two, considered all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. For the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work in you that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault. But then we're cautioned. But he who asks must believe and not doubt. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is unstable and double-minded. And what the process we discover is, is being faithful in the small things in life builds in us a perseverance to be able to say no to all the things that will steal from us the future God has for us and will rob from us the person God created us to become. 
And it's in that crucible we begin to discover this unique characteristic known as wisdom. One thing I know for certain, you can live a long life and never grow in wisdom. You can have endless experiences in your life and never learn anything from those experiences. In fact, some of you may think that you're going through all these different experiences where you're learning new things, but you're really just learning the same thing over and over and over again. Some of you keep making the same mistake over and over again. You keep making the same choice over and over again. You keep dating the same guy over and over again. You keep choosing the same girl over and over again, and you think it's a different person just because she has a different face and he has a different name. But the truth is you just keep making the same stupid choice over and over, and we are at war against stupidity so that we can stop destroying ourselves our lives, our friends, and our future. Now, there is a guy in the scriptures that we are told is the wisest man who ever lived. His name was Solomon. Of course, that would be outside of Jesus. See, he was the son of King David and inherited the empire when he was just a young man, probably in his teens. And he was overwhelmed by the challenge in front of him, overwhelmed by the responsibilities that were now his. And so God made an offer. He said, Solomon, ask me for anything you want, and I will give it to you. And instead of asking for wealth or for power or for pleasure, Solomon asked God for wisdom. He says, give me wisdom that I may lead this people that you've entrusted to me. That's an extraordinary request, an incredibly wise choice, if I may say so myself. And so God says, Solomon, because you've not asked me for wealth or power or pleasure, all these other things, all these treasures that men pursue and war for all their lives, because you've asked me for wisdom, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, Solomon, but I'm going to give you all these other things that you did not ask for. And ever since then... Men have been asking God for wisdom so that God would give them power and wealth and pleasure. <laughs> and we find that Solomon's wisdom was tested right away. There were two women who had two children, infants, and one of the two women, their infant died overnight. In the morning when she realized her child was dead, she claimed another woman's child as her own. And they began fighting over the one infant. She said, no, your child is the one who's dead. Mine is the one who's alive. And no one could resolve this issue. There was no DNA testing. And so they went to King Solomon and asked him, who is the mother? So Solomon had, I think, a brilliant strategy. He said, there's only one child and two women, two mothers. Two mothers who claim that this one child is their child. And so let's cut the baby in two and give half to each of you. Solves the problem right away, doesn't it? <laughs> and of course, the woman who was not the mother said, that is a brilliant idea. And the woman who was the mother said, no, do not kill the child. Give her the child. And Solomon knew instantly who the mother was. Because in that moment, he cut through all the deception and pretension and falsehood that we human beings use to cover up our hearts and cut to the core of the motive of love. Wisdom has an unusual capacity 
to get to the heart of the matter. I wonder right now who the wisest person you've ever known is. In fact, think of that person right now. Think of the wisest person you've ever known. It cannot be you, okay? <laughs> You're going, well, I don't know. There's not even a close second. And, and, and it can't be someone that you've heard from a distance. It, it, it can't be someone that you've heard on television or that you even read their books or even perhaps someone that you've heard on this platform. It needs to be someone, <laughs> someone that you've known and has known you. Do you have that person? The wisest person you've ever known. Now we're going to do a little survey. The wisest person you've ever known, are they also the most affluent person you've ever known? Raise your hand. Wow. So we know it's possible for the wisest person to also be the most affluent person, but it's very unlikely. There's no direct correlation between great wealth and success in the business world and great wisdom. Well, let's try another arena. If the wisest person you've ever known, that person you thought of, is also the most educated person you've ever known, raise your hand. Two, three, four. About three more than the most affluent person you've ever known. Now, maybe you've never known an affluent person or an educated person. I'm going to assume that you, you have. But what we do know, it's possible for a person to be highly educated and wise, but it seems apparently to be very unlikely. <laughs> so what we do know, just intuitively, is that a person of wisdom does not necessarily create great wealth. And a person who creates great wealth is not necessarily a wise person. And what we do know is that a person of great intellect and of a person of academic Excellence and expertise is not necessarily a person of great wisdom. And a person of great wisdom may be very humble and common in their education. So I'm going to ask you another question. The wisest person you've ever known, they're the person you would go to because they could help you heal your relationships and move you toward your highest level of emotional and relational health. These people have an unusual ability to get to the heart of the matter and create relational health in their lives. Raise your hand. Look around. Now I want you to figure out how I got all of you to think of the same person. <laughs> or there's an intuitive connection we make between wisdom and health. Wisdom is so much more than knowledge. It is so much more than the accumulation of data or information or even insight. Wisdom has the unusual ability to connect the dots, to help you see how you got yourself in the situation you're in and how to get yourself into the kind of situation you long to be in. And so many times, the advice they give, the counsel they give, the input they give is exactly what we do not want to hear. And that's why we go to multiple people. <laughs> See, I know this already. When a person comes to me and says, I need your input, I need your counsel, I need your wisdom, and they've already talked to several people, I know what they're really saying is, I need someone who will agree with me. <laughs> because the evidence of wisdom is 
compliance and agreement. But the reality is the scriptures tell us that this particular characteristic will give us the kind of clarity that we can live in uncertainty and we can live in mystery and we can live in crisis and we can live in trauma or tribulation, tribulation or hardship. That the wise always see the light in the midst of the darkness. So this man Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, was researching and studying the archives of human history and he found an occurrence of wisdom that astonished him, which says something. You see, if I said, I was playing tennis the other day and I met this 15-year-old kid, he's amazing, he even beat me. He'd go, well, he doesn't really need to be amazing or when to beat you in tennis, but if Rafael Nadal who just won his eighth French Open championship, Spanish, that, and he said, I just played tennis with a 15-year-old kid, and that kid was amazing, gifted, talented. Be on the lookout. You'd want to know who that kid was. Because if Nadal is impressed with a tennis player, then that is an impressive tennis player. I mean, if I said, well, I just met this 12-year-old girl, she understood quantum physics in a way I... Could not possibly comprehend it. I mean, she's a genius. She's a math savant. You would say, Erwin, you barely graduated from high school. Everyone is a math savant <laughs> compared to you. But if Albert Einstein was still alive and he said, I just met this 12-year-old girl. She understands math in a way that just confused me. I mean, the way she handled quantum mechanics or M theory, I mean, she was brilliant. You'd go, wow, if Einstein's impressed... That's impressive. See, if I said I just met the wisest person in the world, you might say maybe so, maybe not. But when Solomon says, I saw wisdom under the sun that astonished me, you should stop and pay attention, which is exactly what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. He writes, I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man, so I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. This particular expression of wisdom threw Solomon off. It impressed him, astonished him. You see, Solomon knew what wisdom looked like when it had the whole package working in its favor. Solomon knew the effect and impact of wisdom when you add great wealth to it because Solomon was king of Israel at its highest point of wealth. Solomon knew what wisdom and power could accomplish together. For Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, 
was the most powerful king that Israel ever knew. See, Solomon understood the great effect that wisdom could have if you held position and authority and leverage to implement your vision and your insight and your wisdom in the world. Solomon knew what wisdom could do when you added it to all the other factors of human influence and power. But here was a man stripped bare. No title, no position, no wealth, no power, no resources, nothing. I once saw wisdom that astonished me. There was a small city with only a few people in it. And a great king rose up against it and built a huge siege work against it. And in that city, there was a man who was poor but wise. And with his wisdom, he set the city free. He was a man who had nothing working in his favor. His entire world had been turned upside down. It doesn't tell us why the city became valuable to this great king. It doesn't tell us why this, this small city with only a few people in it had such significance for this band of marauders. But for whatever reason, some foreign power had come in and conquered this town. And when it says he had built a huge siege around it, it means that no one could get in and no one could get out. And so what we know is that all those young men who were raised to defend that city were dead. That all those men who had prepared all their lives with the skills to be the best warriors humanity had ever seen had been defeated. Their blood filled the streets. Wives and children were now widows and orphans. Despair filled the air. And there was no one left to bring them hope or freedom. But there was a poor man in a small town with a few people in it who was about to face the greatest challenge and the greatest opportunity of his life. And the first thing he had to face is this overwhelming sense of insignificance. Can you imagine your description, your resume, your vita being, I am a poor man from a small town with very few people in it. I, I didn't come from New York or Paris, London, Los Angeles. I'm just from a small town. But in that small town, think Detroit, even smaller. There are very few people in it. And in a small town with very few people in it, with very little competition, I was the poor guy. But he wasn't a, a small fish in a big ocean or a big fish in a small pond. He was a guppy in a puddle. <laughs> and I'm telling you, when you understand what God has created you to do, when you finally see the life God created you to live, when you finally embrace the calling that God has on your life, you will have an overwhelming sense of insignificance. You will wonder, what in the world is God thinking? It's consistent through the scriptures. When God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah's God, I'm too young. When God called out Moses, he said, but I, 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 but I can't speak. When God called Isaiah, he only was aware of his unholiness and inadequacy. Every time God encounters a human being and that human being gets a glimpse 
of their God-given intention, that person is overwhelmed with their smallness. And I know this. If you think you're bigger than your vision, then your vision is too small. If you think you're talented enough and gifted enough and bright enough, intelligent enough to accomplish everything that is on your heart, then what's on your heart is just too small. Because the moment you enter into a relationship with God, he expands your soul and your vision and your imagination and what you long to accomplish becomes so huge that you become so small. And you become like a poor man in a small town with only a few people in it. And you have to hear this voice whisper into your brain. You know that sense of insignificance? You need to trade it in for understanding the power of one person with God. See, you, if you're anything like me, you've struggled with your sense of insignificance. You can play up the game. You can look good. You can have the talk. But deep down inside in the quietest moments when you are honest with yourself, you know. You know what you're missing. You know there are people more talented than you and more intelligent than you and better looking than you. You know there are people out there that just get an, have an edge and an advantage of you and you'll look in the mirror and go, how in the world am I going to accomplish all the things on my heart when I'm not everything I need to be? And I want you to know that no matter how insignificant you've ever felt or how insignificant others have told you you are, that when you enter into a relationship with the creator of the universe, you begin to tap into the power of one person with God because one person with God is a majority as far as God is concerned. And if Jesus reminds us of anything, it is that one person fully devoted to the Father can save the world. I wonder tonight what it is that God wants to do in you and could do in you and would do in you if you would just stop denying that you are the one that God is waiting for to step up, to rise up and be that poor man. But the moment you, you overcome the sense of insignificance, the moment you go, okay, okay, I'm going to believe that one person with God is the majority. I'm going to believe that God can do something amazing with me. I'm going to believe that in spite of all my weaknesses and all my faults and all my shortcomings and, and all my brokenness, that God can do amazing things. The moment you walk outside with this sense that you're going to take on the world, you step back out there in real life and you realize, oh, wow. The problems are huge. <laughs> there are giants out here. There are dragons they breathe fire. And you go, no wonder I thought I was insignificant. Because I'm not only insignificant, the problems are significant. He's not just a poor man in a small town with a few people in it. He has to go to war against a great king who decides to conquer a town and hold it for his own. I'm telling you, the moment you begin to live your life with the intention and purpose that God created you to live, you're going to be going to war against giants, and you're going to have to slay dragons. And you're going to wonder to yourself, how in the world does God expect me to overcome these overwhelming circumstances? 
I've heard so many conversations from people. I, I had faith. I believed in God. I, I, I know it was sincere. I, 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 I was always just, I was just right there in my, in my faith and my relationship with God and, and my belief in God. And then, and, and those two words are the most destructive words. And then, and then this happened. And then my world fell apart. And then someone I loved died. And, and, and then the person that I trusted betrayed me. And then this happened. And I'm telling you, when you enter into a relationship with God, the and then doesn't end. There's going to be an and then every turn throughout your life of overwhelming circumstances. And in those moments, you must realize that the only solution to overwhelming circumstances is an overriding commitment to God. The only circumstances that will bring you down and keep you down are the ones that are more powerful than your commitment to live the life God created you to live. He was just a poor man that God used to set his city free. What in the world could God do with you? But then Solomon goes on and says, well, he was poor. And did I mention he was poor? <laughs> and, and by the way, one of the unique characteristics about this guy was that he was poor. And, see, and Solomon is going, how can a poor man accomplish this much? Is wisdom really this powerful? Because the moment I get over my sense of insignificance and I go, okay, God, I believe that you and me, that if I just trust you and walk in you, you can do something through my life that will change the course of history. I'm going to own that. And the moment I go, okay, God, I, I'm not going to be terrified or paralyzed by the overwhelming circumstances in life. God, I'm going to rise above that and have an internal compass that is fueled by courage. But then I go, yeah, yeah, but God, it takes like stuff to make this happen. <laughs> I need resources. You ever feel that? I hear this all the time. I got to tell you, I get so many unsolicited scripts. Erwin, I got the move that you need to make. I don't know why they think I need to make it. People in the fashion industry, Erwin, I, I have a dream of the fashion industry. I think God wants you to help me succeed. And then I get all these things about Mosaic. Oh, Mosaic needs to do this, and Mosaic needs to do this. I'm telling you, I know that God has created you with huge dreams. But the overwhelming narrative I get from all those amazing opportunities is I could do this if somebody would fund me. There's the magic words. See, if only Jesus had money, <laughs> then he could change the world. But poor Jesus, he's just broke. <laughs> so he's created this huge movement of, of dreamers and visionaries and heroes. He's created this movement of men and women who are noble and courageous, but he's just so underfunded. <laughs> and sometimes... We are not the poor man, we're just simply beggars who have a poverty mentality because we think that God needs the world's resources to accomplish his kingdom intention. Look, there's never been anything in my life that has ever lasted that was started with money everything in my life that has actually lasted started with passion. When something starts with love, it endures. When it starts with resources, it's already on shaky ground. 
I remember years ago, this young woman came up to me. I was speaking at some event. I think it was in Dallas, and, and she wanted counsel. And uh, I didn't know her. It's so hard to give counsel to someone you don't know. And I said, oh, okay, okay, what's your story? She says, well, I, I thought I was supposed to go to Oregon. I felt like God was calling me to Oregon. I mean, Oregon's kind of like a nice part of the world. It's not like he's sending you to Bangladesh or, or you know, to the Sahara or something like that. He's going, you're going to Oregon. They have cappuccinos in Oregon and, and, and trees. And she goes, well, I thought God was calling me to Oregon, but, but then my, my pastor, he, he, he came and told me I shouldn't go to Oregon. It's really far away, and I'm a single woman. And, and my parents, they didn't want me to go because I would be leaving home. And, 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 and then I just said, okay, God, if you want me to go, you need to show me. And then God showed me I shouldn't go. I said, well, how did he show you? And he goes, he didn't provide the money to go. <laughs> I said, so that's how you decide what God's will for your life is. If he cashes out, if God actually gives you the money, then you know he's telling you to do something. I got to tell you, my exact experience is the opposite. I mean, my experience for life is God just speaks and says, go do this. And he seems to be absolutely unaware that we need money. <laughs> and when I read the scriptures, he does it over and over again. He says to Abraham, leave everything. And go, follow me this way, to this land you do not know, to, among a people you do not know, and to a future that is unknown. It seems like God does the opposite. It says, you have all your resources here, leave everything, and trust me, let me be your resource. I mean, it's insane what God does. Jesus looked at a man, and he said, go sell all your possessions, because he was rich. Go, it, it's going to tie you down, it's going to weigh you down, go sell all your possessions and follow me. It says that man was rich, and so he would not go. And Jesus had said, had his heart broken. See, it's actually the opposite. God doesn't give us all the resources so that we can trust him. He gives his resources to the people who trust him. And if you actually think that provision comes before vision, you do not understand how God works. You have to have a vision of the future. You have to have a deep burden and passion that says, I'm going to live this life out if I do it in poverty, if I do it alone, if I do it bleeding, if I do it sweating, if I do it crawling, this is the future I'm going to create. And God looks for those individuals who will go with nothing because those are the people God can trust with everything. It's kind of funny. I mean, when we came here to this property, we didn't have enough money to pay the bills. We just knew we were supposed to come, so we came. And it reminded me when we moved to L.A., me and Kim, we had Patty as our foster daughter who was now going to college. Aaron was three. Mariah was one month, two months old. And so we rented a house in Alhambra, and Kim was very concerned, and she said, Honey, can we afford this? I said, Kim, we can't afford anything. So we might as well live here. <laughs> I mean, who can afford to live in LA? If <laughs> if God was worried about the order the way we're worried about the order, 
we would all still be in Kansas. <laughs> but I wonder what are the endless resources that God wants to pour out into your life, waiting for you to have the courage to step into a world without resources. Oh, and by the way, you're going, well, I got all the resources I need. I'm good looking. I got a washboard. <laughs> I'm smart. I'm talented. I'm young. Let me tell you, if you have enough resources for your vision, you don't have enough vision for your life. You see, when you enter into a relationship with God, no matter how much money you have, or how much intellect you have, or how much talent you have, no matter how much stuff you have, when you enter into a relationship with God, and he expands your mind. He blows your mind. And God will bring you into a life so big, it guarantees you will be under-resourced. I think it's kind of funny. A few weeks ago, I just happened to serendipitously tell the story that we moved here, and we have about a seven-year lease, and I said, in seven years, we're going to have to go somewhere else. Or maybe we could buy this place or buy the director's guild. I was sort of just improvising, and... Uh, that night, I got a text from someone who doesn't even attend Mosaic as, as a part of our community, goes to another community, listens on live stream quite often, and I got a, this text said, me and my husband, we want to give $5,000 to your building fund. We don't have a building fund. And uh, <laughs> he said, and, and, and I knew it was sacrifice because I said, can we give $2,500 now and $2,500 in September? Will that be okay? Can you wait that long? Yeah, we, we, we can wait that long. And, <laughs> This is, this is just like God. You see, the moment you start dreaming about how you can impact the future and create a better world, God starts putting it on people's hearts. Because all the resources we need to turn the world upside down, it's already there. We're just usually blind to it, hiding it, or holding on to it and not releasing it to God. And so we sat down as a team just really weeks ago, and we said, you know, we need to reclaim the stewardship we had across the world. Because, men, you don't know this, but Mosaic had influence all over the world. And our dominant influence really came out of the integration of creativity and spirituality, of just demanding that we give Jesus the rightful place at the epicenter of human creativity. And people all over the world started connecting to this message. And, and I traveled to over 50 countries around the world, and we just saw communities springing up all over the planet of innovators and creatives and, and artisans and people who saw their imagination as the gift that God gave them to create. And it became this unique tribe all over the planet. But about five or six years ago, I, I just got tired and I just felt beat up and wounded, and I just walked away from it all, and I shut it all down. And people all over the world were like, well, what happened to Mosaic? What happened to you? And it's taken five or six years, and, and this year, I don't know what's going on. I mean, it's like God just like zoomed into my brain and went straight into my soul and turned on a light and I was alive again. It's like, oh man, this is awesome. <laughs> we could feel it. We could feel it all around us. And, and many of you have sensed that there's something different here now. 
And, and so I said, I think it's time for us to pick up where we left off. And I know I did a lot of damage and shut everything down, and, but we should start back up and, and start taking care of those artists and innovators, those creatives, those who imagine and create the future. We need to start taking our stewardship over them again. And before we could even talk about it, we're talking about, well, that's, that's just like, well, we're going to need resources, right? Because that's the way it works. And so our team's been getting together, how are we going to raise resources, and how are we going to do this? And, and then I get this invitation, this guy texts me and says, hey, I, I see you're going to start traveling again. Can I travel with you? He's in another country, and I used to drag people around me to different parts of the world. And, and I didn't even respond, because I haven't talked to him in a long time. And, and, and then I also saw an event is happening in, in this small obscure little town in another country, and I knew this guy was hosting it, and he was just putting it on trying to get me to come, I thought. And, and he goes, we'd like for you to come, and, and, and it didn't really offer the kind of income that I would normally do something like that for, but I said, hey, I'm going to come no matter what, but could you guys, you know, sort of get a little bit more money? And then I got this email, and it said, me and my wife have been praying, and we listened to the podcast, and we're so influenced by Mosaic, oh, we'd like to give $50,000. And that just happened this week. And, and I, I thought, this is so funny. We've just been sitting in a little back room dreaming and envisioning what we could do to create a different world, a better world, a different future of calling out this tribe that is wondering, does God exist inside of the creative spirit? And he's already placing it in the hearts of people. Yeah, we'll just send 50 grand. So I text back, okay, I'll come for free. <laughs> and I'm telling you that you, when you face the great challenges and opportunities of life, will have an overwhelming sense that you lack the resources to get it done. And what you need to realize is that God has unlimited resources for those who walk with courage, who trust in him, and who choose the path of wisdom, which is the mind of Christ. Oh, and there is one last thing. This really bothered Solomon. But nobody remembered that poor man. That really bothered him. You can tell. Listen to his act, his angst. He goes, but nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, he's talking to himself. Right? Wisdom is better than strength. Then he goes back. But the poor man's wisdom is despised. And his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Oh, wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But when sinner destroys much good, he's going back and forth. Like, how can he be the wisest guy in that whole town and later be despised? How can he set a whole city free and then later be forgotten? And you see, here is the intersection that you and me, we all have to grapple with. Do you want to live your life for being known or do you want to live your life for being worth knowing? Do you want to live your life for public recognition? Or will you live your life for private reward? I don't think this poor man was sitting around at the end of his life going, they forgot me. <laughs> I set the city free. That was me. <laughs> I know there's no proof. I also created Napster. I'm telling you, <laughs> I set that city free. And then they elect him to govern. Nah, 
I think that was the kind of story that only his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren had the privilege of knowing. And say, Grandpa, tell us about the time the great king came and took over the city and built a huge siege work. Tell us about the time where you in poverty, where you, when you didn't even know where your meal was coming from the next day, how you used the wisdom that God gave you to bring freedom to all of us. God wants to use you to bring freedom to the world. Oh, before we leave, I brought something special. Now, you might think this is a tennis ball. With my earlier allusion to... um, Rafael Nadal, who's Spanish. (laughs) But it's not a tennis ball. This actually, my friend, is a time machine. I know, what? I know. It's because you haven't been informed. It's a time machine. Heads up. Oh, over there. Just want to make sure you're awake. Oh, it's dark. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I should have thought of that ahead of time. Oh, that's what we're going to talk about. See, years ago I thought this was a tennis ball, but I quickly discovered it was a time machine. Watch. Present, future. (laughs) Say with me. Present, future. Did you feel it? (laughs) Now there's some of you here who have convinced yourself, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm in this situation, but it's not my fault. Life just happens. Present, future. Nobody could have predicted this was going to happen. Present, future. How am I supposed to know that when I did this, this would happen? Present, future. See, it's a strange thing. Not only can I predict the future, but I can create it. Watch. It's a small creation. (laughs) Probably won't change the world, but I still created the future here. I'm going to do it again. See, because I am designed to create. I remember years ago, I had a ball like this, much more powerful, bouncier. And I had this group of people, and I called up this guy who was really ripped. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the ANF, like washboard stomach and steroid use, you know. And uh, <laughs> I called him up. He was in his, you know, muscle shirt. And I said, man, I want you to take this ball. There was a wall right there. I said, I want you to take this ball. I want you to throw it as hard as you can against that wall. He's like, no, man, I, I can't do that. I said, no, it's okay. He goes, no, man, like, we're in a church. We, we were not in a church, but since I was there, I think he thought it was a church. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, no, 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 man, it's, it, it's, it's okay. I, I'm in charge, well, at least for now. And uh, just take the ball and just throw it as hard as you can against that wall. And, and then I could see it, like all the testosterone. You know? <laughs> And he was looking like at his bros, and they're like, yeah, come on, man, you know? And, he, and the veins started like popping out of his arms. And, and then you could see like all the young women, they're going, ooh, you know? And so, you know, he grabbed that thing, and, and he wound up, and, I, and, and he threw that thing as hard as he could against that wall, and it just exploded off the wall. Have you ever had a moment where you suddenly knew that God existed? Uh, you know, a moment maybe where you doubted whether there really was a God, but then something happened, and you went, no, there has to be God, because that can't happen unless there's a God. 
It was one of those moments because when he threw that ball against that wall, it exploded off the wall and he came back and hit him right in the face. I mean, bam! <laughs> there has to be a God. I mean, there's just no way that could have happened if there was no God. And I could have never made that happen. And, and you know what he said the moment that ball hit him in the face? Why'd you make me do that? I said, make you do what? But you made me hit myself. I said, I didn't make you hit yourself. You threw it. Where'd you think it was going to go? I mean, through the wall? Why didn't you throw it at an angle? Oh. And clearly there was nothing there to damage anyway, so no harm, no foul. It's late. And, and you see, he hadn't connected the dots between the present and the future, between cause and effect. See, the scripture says what you sow is what you reap. That's an old school way of saying what goes around comes around. That's a less philosophical way of saying the choices you make today create the future you will live tomorrow. And the choices you make today are the material that translates into the reality that proves what your character really is. So your choices are informed by your character. And the shape of your character is the shape of your future. And there's some of you here and you still don't know how you got here. You don't know how life fell apart. You don't know how you lost that job, or you don't know how you lost that love. You don't know how you lost that dream. You don't know how your life fell into the pit. You do not yet know why you are so wounded over and over again, why you keep choosing the wrong person to love, why you keep choosing the wrong person to trust. It's because you haven't yet taken ownership that you are given responsibility for the cause but you do not have power over the effect. If you want to choose the effect, then choose the cause. If you want to have some control over the future you live in and the future we get to live in because of you, if you want to be a part of creating a future filled with beauty, a future filled with hope, a future filled with love and compassion and forgiveness and friendship. And it's time to begin the uprising. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible and creates life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading this message around the world by going to mosaic.org slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.